Welcome to the Elm City Church Podcast. Elm City Church is a community of people who are trying to practice the way of Jesus together. No matter where you're at, these messages are meant to equip and strengthen you for the journey. You can find out more by visiting elmcitychurch.com. Thanks for listening. The ancient Greeks, the ancient Greeks had two words for time, chronos and kairos. And a chronos time is just chronological time. It sort of answers the question, what time is it? But the other use for time, and another word for time, is kairos. And kairos is way more about answering a question of what moment are we in? And uh, kairos, they often, when it's used, especially in the scripture, it's referring to a moment of opportunity or a season that must be acted on. So an example of uh, kairos time would be harvest time. If you're a farmer, it's when it's harvest time, that is a season that must be acted on. It's a time of urgency. I distinctly remember uh, one of my most important Kairos moments, a moment of opportunity that I felt like I must act on. It was about 11 years ago. Um, I've been hanging out with this uh, cute girl named Beth, and um, she, I, you know, I was interested, but every time we'd hang out, she wanted to make sure I knew that it wasn't a date. So let's say I said, let's get coffee at uh, 10 o'clock, She'd show up at 9.50 and buy her own coffee so that I could not call it a date. Um, we, we continued to hang out, slowly wearing her down. And uh, we were on a walk one day over by Spofford Lake, and we were walking. And I thought to myself, like, this is a big moment. If I hang out with this girl much longer, uh, I'm going to get friend zoned. Like, have you, do you guys know what the friend zone is? It's the worst zone to be in if you're a guy trying to go after a girl. No one wants to be in the friend zone. So I thought, I, I have to do something about this. I cannot be in the friend zone. I'm like, if I do not reach over and hold this girl's hand, in the next three minutes, I'm for sure going to be friend zoned. So I mustered up enough courage, grabbed her hand as we were walking. She looked at me kind of funny. And I just pretended it was normal. <laughs> Eleven years later, I'm very glad that I, that I did. Um, I'm so glad I had the guts to act in that moment. Um, that is a kind of a, a kairos moment. And th- like I said, this is a word that's used a lot in the, in the scriptures. The first words of Jesus in the gospel of Mark, this is what he says. This is Mark saying, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel and saying this, the time, the kairos is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news or repent and believe the gospel. Jesus is saying, the appointed time, the appointed time in God's purpose is here. Don't let it pass. You need to seize it, repent, believe the good news. And this, uh, like I said, this is used a lot in scripture, this word. It's used 86 times. Kairos is, and uh, Paul uses it in the end of Colossians. We've been teaching through Colossians since March, and this is the, both the final message in our Colossians series and the first message in our new series. And at the very end of Colossians, this is what he says in Colossians 4, 5. Talking to this church, he says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time, making the best use of the kairos, the opportunity that you find yourselves in. See, the Colossian church, like almost all of the early churches, it was a minority movement in a somewhat hostile environment. You know, the, the churches were viewed with suspicion, and because of that, They knew it was necessary to be extra careful about the impression they made on their neighbors and their community. But they also knew this would create unique opportunities 
for them to be people who shared about Jesus. So Paul ends his letter to the Colossian church by essentially saying, live wisely so that you can capitalize on every gospel opportunity you'll get. Live wisely so that you can capitalize on every single gospel opportunity you are going to get. And as I was studying that this week and thinking about this idea of Kairos moments, it made me reflect and think, you know, what is, what is our current moment that we're in now? You know, and what does it look like for us as Elm City Church in this moment to live in this way, to live wisely so that we can take advantage of every opportunity? Uh, you know, one thing that's for sure, the moment that we're in now is not the same moment we were in back in March and April. Who here can even just feel the difference? This is not the same moment we are in in March and April. We have entered a completely different phase of whatever this pandemic, this whole cultural moment is. Um, As it's dragged on, there's just a new type of exhaustion, a new type of frustration, and a whole new set of, I am so done with this. Anyone feel that? Like even just personally, but like just almost like walking around, you can feel it. Those of you who have kids or work with people, like opening schools has been a mess. Really hard to figure out. It's caused stress on a lot of people, a lot of businesses, a lot of, a lot of parents. And um, oh, good news. The elections is less than eight weeks away. And this is gonna be the most contentious one in my lifetime. America is more divided than it's ever been on politics on racial reconciliation. Both sides are using fear tactics um, to try to get their message across and intentionally misrepresenting each other's views. Social media algorithms you know, are feeding you uh, news designed to make you angry all the time because rage is a dopamine hit and you click on it. Um, it's, a real, it's, a, it's a really big problem. And uh, my big concern is this. I see more and more Christians getting sucked in to the angry rhetoric and the way of the world in this time than I've ever seen before. That's a huge burden and concern of mine as I watch. So with all that being said, let's all take one big breath. Don't breathe out too forcefully, though. That might not be safe. (laughs) Just kidding. Uh, It is easy to get discouraged and disheartened. Uh, in this time. I know I've had my fair share of, uh, of feeling that. But here is some good news. Jesus is still king. Everything we've learned about in Colossians is still true. In the church, we still have a calling that does not go away and is not changed by any of that. But I was, uh, but I was thinking, okay, I really believe that we are in a critical moment, specifically even between now and the election. And so over the next six, seven weeks, we're going to do a series, a new series that's called In Good Faith. And it's not really, it's not really going to be about politics, but it's going to be about how do we as Christians, how do we as a church put into practice Colossians 4, 5 in this, in this moment? How do we walk in wisdom towards outsiders so that we can make the best use of the time? So that's what we're going to spend, spend some serious time talking about. Because honestly, as much as, we, as you keep hearing that uh, these are unprecedented times, for followers of Jesus, read church history, these are precedented times. The church has faced similar things before, and the faithful remnant of God's people need to do what they have always done over the course of history. 
You need to commit to personal renewal. You need to commit to praying for the gospel to go out. And you need to ask in the power of the Holy Spirit to live as a winsome witness. And then I think and only then can we take advantage of this Kairos moment that we find ourselves in. So if you want to, if you want to turn to Colossians chapter four, verses two through six, this is uh, the, the passage that we're going to uh, look at and we'll, we'll actually frame the, the, our whole next series. This is what Paul ends his letter to the Colossians by saying, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So originally when we started Colossians, it was only supposed to last 12 weeks, um, I was able to turn it into a 24-part series because there was just so much good stuff. So I understand, you know, if you don't remember the flow of the letter. But Paul, in, this short, in these short four chapters, taught us so much. He taught us about the goal of the Christian life. He taught us about the identity of Jesus. He, talked, he taught us how, how Jesus, through the gospel, is reconciling all things. He showed us what new life and Jesus looks like and how the church should live together in unity. But as Paul, as he brings this letter to a close, he gives this church and us one final important word of instruction. Uh, final words are really important. There's, there, there's, there's like 10 more verses in here and they're all personal greetings, uh, all, all, all important stuff. But this is the final part of his, um, his instruction to the church. And he says this, you know, after I've taught you all this stuff, about who Jesus is, who you are, here is what you need to do. You need to have an outward-focused, missional life by, by really devoting yourself to two things. One, he's gonna say, devote yourself to prayer, praying that God would open up doors of opportunity for the gospel to be shared clearly. And two, live wisely and talk graciously with those who are outside the faith so that you can take advantage of those kairos moments that you are given. And I'm convinced those two things if we as a church in this next season focus on those two things and are faithful to them, God will bless it because uh, this is what he is calling us to do. And the first thing we need so that we don't miss this moment is a renewed commitment to prayer. Not just here and there, but passionate, committed, focused prayer that God would open up opportunities for the gospel to go out. And I was really convicted about what Paul prays here because remember, he's writing this letter from jail. And he's in jail specifically because he's been preaching the gospel, gospel message. And not once in this letter does he complain that his rights have been violated or that things are unfair. In fact, he doesn't even pray that he gets out of jail. He doesn't say, hey, by the way, can you pray that I get let out? No, his desire to see lost people come to Jesus supersedes his comfort and rights. His desire to see lost people come to Jesus, his passion for that, supersedes his comfort and his rights. Because he says at the end, at the same time, pray also for me that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. Uh, I would have had them pray, Hey, can you pray also for me that God would open a door to this jail cell so that I could get out and go home? 
you know, Paul is a better man than I am. I would not, I would be specifically saying, hey, pray for me to get out of here. He goes, no, pray for me. The door that I want opened is a door for the gospel. Uh, in, my, in my first job I worked at as a, as a pastor in the Boston area, I had a uh, interim pastor. His name was Bob Berquist. He was, he was a great guy. And, uh, I could, and he would sum up pretty much every single one of his sermons by saying, really simply, you know what? We need to be about what Jesus is about. That was like the conclusion to every one of his sermons. And at first I was like, almost, you know, thought, thought his sermons were a little bit of the same thing every week. But here I am 10 years later, being like, hey, you know what Bob Burke was preaching about? We need to be about what Jesus is about. And one thing that Jesus was all about for sure was lost people coming to him, was seeing the lost saved. He says in Luke 19, 10, the son of man has come to seek and save the lost. So my, I have a question for you and for myself. Does your heart break for those you know that don't know Jesus? Does your heart break for those who don't know Jesus? Like, does it bother you? Does it, does it make you like upset? And then does it, draw, does it push you to prayer? Does your heart break for those you know who don't know Jesus? Does it break your heart enough to pray for them, to be devoted to prayer for them? Almost three years ago, as I was beginning the church planting journey here, Drum City, even the pre-Justin time, before, before, I, before I met Justin, um, I would regularly kind of walk the neighborhoods in Keene, uh, walking, you know, walking through the different streets, praying for... Uh, you know, just, just praying for people that I, that I didn't know. I, I wouldn't like, like stop them and pray for them. I just walked by their house like, God, I don't know who's in there, but there's a good chance they don't know you. So I pray that whatever this church turns out that I hope that to start is, is reaching, uh, is reaching these, these, these people. Um, because I didn't know what, you know, Elm City Church was gonna look like three years ago, like three years in. I still don't know what it's gonna look like. Uh, but I did know this. Statistically speaking, at least 90% of the people in our community don't know Jesus. You know, the average person talked to you probably has some vague notion of God, some vague belief in spirituality, but they do not have a life-saving relationship with Jesus. Just, just ask a few like, follow-up questions. They don't. And that, I love this community, and that broke my heart. Uh, but you know what? I, what, I have to, what I have to confess, as the church has grown, if I've gotten busier, as running the organization has taken up so much time, I've seen that wane in me. Not necessarily because I don't care, but because my attention has been pulled in so many different directions. Because there's so much other stuff to think about now. And I think this is, a, this is a common thing that can happen because Paul has to remind this church. Paul has to remind them, pray. Pray that the gospel, the gospel opportunities would, would, would come. Because listen, we all have limited bandwidth. We all have a limited amount of things that we can be passionate about. And if you are not careful, you can let work, family, sports, entertainment, fixing up your house, Netflix, politics, whatever, just totally consume you. And, you, and none of these are like, in and of themselves are bad things. But you can just let you know, your hobbies just be the thing that you think about all the time so that you're, just, you're not thinking about what is the most important thing. 
gospel opportunities, helping people have a life-saving relationship with Jesus. It's so easy for that to just wane. And, and Satan wants nothing more than just clutter our lives with all these like really good distractions that in and of themselves are innocent. But if they continually pull us away from what he's calling us to, it's a big deal. So just, I think, you know, I know just about everybody in here. My question is, what currently has your attention? When you don't have anything to think about, what do you think about? What do you daydream about? When you have extra time, what do you spend it on? Is any of that gospel-focused? There's no, again, there's nothing wrong with enjoy, like, doing good, like all the great things there are to do. But if the, if the gospel and mission and outreach is not part of any of that, I think for followers, there's, there's a problem. And I'm talking to myself just as much because this is my job. And so I'm like, so what do I do when I'm off the clock? You know, I'm never off the clock. But what, what, like, what, do, I, what do I do with myself? I'm not, I'm not projecting this out without projecting this on myself. So distraction can take us away from it. But the other thing that can take us away from it is our desire for comfort. Our desire for comfort could also rob our gospel passion. Uh, one of my favorite books, it was a book, um, it, was a, it was a Japanese book that was translated into English, but it was called Silence. And it was about the persecution. It was kind of a, a, a story about faith. And, um, but it was about the Japanese persecution of Christians in the 1600s. So, and and it's a, it was a historical fiction, um, not a true story, but based on lots of true stuff that had happened. And in the 1600s, the Japanese tried to kind of eradicate all of the priests and the missionaries and to crush Christianity in Japan because they thought it was corrupting Japan with Western influence. Uh, so what they did was they rounded up all the priests and tried to get them to recant their faith. And all they had to do, there was an image of Jesus, like a, a mosaic, and they had to spit on it and put their heel on it and say, I renounce my faith. And what happened was, and so they would torture them, they would do all of these things, and priest after priest refused, did not recant, went to their deaths. And do you know what this did to the church in Japan? It emboldened the Christians. As story after story of, their, of how their priests stood up um, and, and, and were faithful. And there was a few that recanted, and lots of Christians did, but they, were, they couldn't, there was the, all of the top leaders, they couldn't get to recant. So here's what they did instead. They tried a completely different tactic that was amazingly effective. Instead of torturing them, they locked them up in a palace of comfort. Instead of putting them in these dingy jails, they brought them to the palace. They kept them very well fed. They gave them very comfortable furniture. They let them write. They gave them all the books they wanted. And they found out that giving them comfort had a way greater impact on dulling their faith, dulling their passion, and was more detrimental to the church than persecution ever was. I was like, I, every time I think of that book, that really gets me. And I know that's an extreme example. Like that, and I personally have no burning desire to be persecuted. I am so thankful for the religious freedom that we have here in America. But here is what concerns me at this moment. It appears broadly that the church is really distracted and much more concerned with claiming its rights than it is with examining how, our, how that impacts our witness 
to our unbelieving communities. My concern is that we are just getting so much more caught up in grabbing our rights, which we do have, but we're doing them often in a way that's to a detriment of our witness to our unbelieving communities. Because we need to remember that no politician, no political party has the power or ability to hurt or protect God's church. It does not. And heresy and compromise always do way more damage to the church than persecution. Heresy and compromise are so much more dangerous to the church than persecution. Listen, I don't want our rights to be taken away. I am so thankful for them. But we need to stop being so afraid of it. The church flourishes when when that happens. The faithful remnant speaks out. We need to be about what Jesus is about at all costs. And Jesus is primarily about seeking and saving the lost. And this is why in this moment we need a renewed emphasis on prayer. Because this is where it all starts. It starts in prayer. Oswald Chambers, um, he was a Christian in the past. He wrote a lot and uh, he, he said this. Prayer is not preparation for work. It is work. Prayer is not preparation for the battle. It is the battle. Prayer is twofold definite asking and definite waiting to receive. So that is why before he calls the church to action, he calls them to prayer. He says, pray that God is that will open up opportunities. And this is what he says after that. So that he says, okay, pray that God opens up doors for us and also for yourself. But he also says, pray that you act wisely when those opportunities present themselves. He says, no, he doesn't just say pray for opportunities. He says, live in a way that creates opportunities. He goes on, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So here's the part that's gonna get a little personally uncomfortable. Um, we are not called to, we're not only called to pray for opportunities for people to hear the gospel, but you're to pray that assuming that you are going to be the one that has the opportunity to share with them. It's not, dear Lord, I pray that somebody talks to my friend Bob about Jesus. Wouldn't that be so awesome? Or maybe I can bring him to church so the pastor will talk about him. Maybe I can forward them this devotional or this sermon by someone else and it would magically work. No, when you pray for opportunities to open, it's with the assumption that you are going to be the one that gets to share the good news with them. And that, gets, and that, I know, can be a little scary. And Paul says, when you share, you need to pray that you can share clearly, graciously. He says, let your speech be seasoned with salt. Um, and that's kind of a, a, a Jewish term that you know, says, make sure there's some like, zing to it. Don't be boring about it. Tell stories. Like, it's, it's okay to laugh and have fun. Uh, that's, that's normal. He says, make, make sure your speech is seasoned with salt. And he says, also, do it personally. Because he goes, the final thing, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Uh, oftentimes, there's no cookie-cutter approach to this. So you may know how to answer each person. Because most people come to know Jesus through a relationship with somebody who has a relationship with Jesus. Say that again. Most people come to know Jesus because they have a relationship with somebody who has a relationship with Jesus. Does that make sense? That is how, even if someone randomly shows up at church one day and comes to know Jesus, often it's because someone they know invited them. 
Maybe it was three months. We have that happen all the time here. Someone just like shows up and I'm like, oh, someone invites you? Like, yeah, like five months ago, my buddy mentioned it and decided today was the day I'm going to try it out. Even that was still through relationship. You may not feel equipped. You might not feel qualified, but here's the truth. You are God's plan A for someone in your life to hear about Jesus. Like every single one of you, you are God's plan A for someone in your life to hear about Jesus. Uh, so in this time, I ha- I'm gonna, we'll pass them out at the end. They're, they're in the back. I, I, Abby helped me put it together. Um, but here is kind of like, all right, what do we do about this? What is our application? So here's this, this handout. And what this is, is it starts with Colossians 4, 2 through 6, this, this passage. And I want to challenge our entire church to memorize it, to read it every day. And then there is, between now and the end of the series, around the election, there's about 50 days. And so to make a 50-day commitment to prayer, but specifically praying these five things that come right out of Colossians 4, 2 through 6. Pray this every day. God, break my heart for those in my community that don't know you. God, please open doors for our church and for me to share the gospel in word and deed. God, when you open these doors, give me the courage to step through them. Holy Spirit, help me speak with clarity. Jesus, help me represent you well. Pray those five things every day. And then if you want to get really, you know, into it, every night before you go to bed, just reflect. Jesus, how was my heart for those who didn't know you? Did I have any, did I have any, any opportunities? Um, did I speak with clarity? I, if, if we commit to this as a church body, uh, I mean, we, God is free to do whatever. We don't force his hand. But I would be shocked if we did not have story after story of people saying, hey, you won't believe this door that got opened. You know, my neighbor that had never, never had shown any interest in Jesus all of a sudden asked me, so tell me about your church. You know, someone asked me, hey, will you pray for me? So, I mean, there are so many opportunities we don't step into, we don't have, just because we don't ask for them, just because we don't pray for them, just because we're not aware of them. And so on the back, there's a spot for you to write down as answers to prayer. What were some of these gospel opportunities? And then also, just some things to celebrate. Keep, keep this with you. Put it in your Bible, tape it on your fridge so that it's in front of you all the time. Because we're gonna be talking about this at Life Group. We're gonna be sharing. We're, we're, we're gonna be praying this together during this 50-day during this this time. Um, this is an important moment, I really believe. For us as followers of Jesus, to be people who act in good faith. Um, you know, our desire as a church, we want to plant 25 life groups and we want, we want to start 25 life groups and plant two churches in the next 10 years. And the reason why we want to do that is we feel like that's one of the best ways to reach new people for Jesus. But none of that's going to happen if it's not preceded by prayer. None of that's going to happen if, if we're not, if our hearts are not breaking for those who don't know him because that's not going to be easy. That's not gonna happen by just, hey, let's play some music and hope people walk in. Uh, Nothing wrong with that, uh, but people in our community are not waking up going, you know what, I might go to church today. It's just not, for the most part, it's not happening. We We no longer can expect them to come to us. We need to go to them. Relationally, winsomely, be people who walk 
wisely in this moment. So let's not look back six, in six months or whatever with regret that we missed the moment. Let's live wisely. Let's seek Jesus together. Let's act in good faith. Jesus, help us.